0: We have been in a series entitled The Invisible War. And everything about our lives can go under that, so I'm just kind of stringing it out. And today, we, we win. The Invisible War is won. The secret is in Galatians, the sixth chapter, verse 14. May I never boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ now the cross and boasting in it is counterintuitive and it's also countercultural it's like boasting in the electric chair or the lethal injection or a hangman's noose boasting in what so why do Christians we Christians like Paul boast in Christ's cross first of all because of who hung there. Jesus Christ is an admirable man. We admire him for the greatness of his vision, the grandeur of his character, his gentleness and approachability, the strength of his convictions, the force of his anger, his concern for the little person, the magnetism of his personality, the power in his works. The concreteness and completeness of his teaching, his patience and skill in developing character, his perfect blend of righteousness and forgiveness, the wonderful insight into life through his stories, the promises he made, the dependability of his word and person, the rock-like endurance, his incredible ability to avoid self-pity, and his loving commitment. It's a long list of admirable human characteristics which is blended with the fact that Jesus is the Son of the living God, the Word of God, the image of the invisible God, the radiance of God's glory, and the exact representation of God's being. We boast in the cross because there... Jesus Christ being in very nature God humbled himself by taking the nature of a servant being made in human likeness and became obedient to death. If a man who dies for his friends is admirable, what boasting is sufficient when God incarnate dies for everyone? Number two, we boast in the cross because of what Christ did there. On the cross, Christ transferred His righteousness to us, transformed our character, and triumphed over the world, the flesh, and the devil. I'm just going to touch on the transference thing here, but the transformation of our character and the triumph over the world and the flesh and the devil are very important. We will revisit those transference pictured in galatians 3 christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us second corinthians god made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of god first peter He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. General Superintendent of the Assemblies of God, Dr. George Wood, told about growing up in a missions home in northern China. And they had a guard dog, big vicious guard dog, Friendly to the family, almost no one else, As they, they, to the extent that they kept him chained up. And one day, George, little George wanted to see what would happen if he unchained him, so he did. And the dog just took out for anything to bite in sight. And so, dad and the big brother and little George were all running down the street chasing the dog and dad said as they were running, when we get back to the house, you're going to get whooping. Now, Dr. Wood explains that at his house, whooping meant a spanking with a barber's strap. You would know that as a razor strop or however, it, wherever you came from. Big, big piece of leather about this wide and about this long, heavy, could, could do superficial damage to the well-being of your epidermis and uh, so he became quite fearful of getting back home and in the process of this chase his big brother now George said that he had never had a whooping before but his his big brother Paul had had misbehaved enough to run into that leather several times And he offered to dad to take it for George. Now, he wouldn't have been able to make that offer if he had participated in releasing the dog. But since he had not done that, that was a valid offer. Dad didn't take it. But uh, that's the kind of transference we're talking about here. And you who have sinned, and if you say to me, I have never sinned, you just did it again. So that it is really, really important that we understand that all have sinned and all need to make this transference if we don't want to go to hell. Now, you can pay for your sin. You can. Don't, don't let anybody tell you you can't pay for your sin. You die and go to hell. Debt paid. Well, you don't have any way of getting out of there. It's kind of, it's kind of a dead-end street. And this transference thing is about Christ redeeming us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. Is that incredible? The gospel is counterintuitive. I have often struggled with this, the fact that intelligent People, high IQ people, people who pride themselves in thinking and are open to new ideas, do not take the picture of the gospel of Jesus Christ, juxtapose it to the picture of how you uh, please God in Islam, how you please God in Buddhism, in Hinduism, in animism. All of these things, besides Christianity, are the same. It is, I will work hard, I will be good, and maybe I will work hard enough and be good enough to please God and somehow get in. Uh, we have in Mormonism, uh, in the U.S., we have in Jehovah's Witnesses, they, they all fit into this deal. Uh, maybe you can understand it like this. I was talking to a brilliant Mormon doctor, a friend of mine, He loved to talk about spiritual things. Never did get through to him that I know of. Uh, But the Holy Spirit is still alive. But anyway, we were talking about fasting because I was going to go on a fast and I have a history of upper GI hemorrhaging and due to ulcers. And the thought of me making an ulcer by not eating properly or not eating freaked uh, this girl that I live with out. You should meet her. She's a good person but she can freak out when she thinks about me getting sick because it happened to her before and her, load, her workload really spikes when I'm not doing my thing. So she said, she just insisted that I talk to my doctor. So I did. And so we were talking about fasting and we worked out a deal where I could fast and, and he was satisfied and I, I hope that it satisfied her. But in the course of that conversation, Here is the ultimate picture, the simplest picture I have ever seen of being good so you can get something good. He said, I believe when I fast a meal that I get a coin to put in my purse so that when I need something from God, I have currency. Is that clear? I mean, that's as clear as it gets. And I am just astounded that people who are really really bright can't see the difference of christianity which is about jesus goodness it's called grace for by grace are you saved it is through faith God has to put grace inside us to even believe that. And maybe that's the reason they can't figure it out. They are not under the grace of God. I wish they had sense enough to say, God, if you're there, would you give me grace to see this? Because Christianity is unique. Now, they're smart enough to see that Christianity is unique, okay? But the cross is offensive. Now, in the first place, see, we don't get any credit. Does that stink or what? Please just give me some credit. You know, I don't, I, I'll watch pride. Just try me. Give me credit. I was listening to one of my colleagues, and he has a, he has a son that's um, a freshman or sophomore in high school, and he's reading on a postgraduate level. And he was telling about his relationship with his son and the books that they've gone through together to disciple, you know, and they just, and so he's telling about this, this reading ability, and he said, I want some of the credit for that. Well, I understand that. I want some credit too. If I did a good job and I worked hard with my kids or whatever I worked hard with, just give me some credit, okay? Hello, credit. And that's the way we are. That's the human condition. And perhaps that's why the people that I think ought to just be able to read the gospel of Jesus Christ and say, man, if that's true, there is nothing like it in the world. Instead, they are offended the cross and and instead of being willing to give god the credit it's like they're afraid god might want something from them that they don't want to give and it's like i i don't i'm afraid of the will of god it might hurt me boy i mean that's manhood that's woman that's strong stuff and you expect to succeed in life with that kind of wimphood? That is word, I think. I'll check it. <laughs> Jesus did it there. He just transferred our junk into himself. The Father did, actually, and uh, paid, paid the price. It's, it's paid. It's done. Now, number three, we... Glory in the cross, because not only of what Jesus did there, but the effect of the cross, which was the death of the Savior. Death could not hold him. Death could not hold him. We read. Uh, I have on the uh, on the screens verse twenty four, but I want to start with verse twenty three. This is the middle of Peter's sermon on the day of Pentecost when a bunch of people got saved. Uh, People say this is the birthday of the church. No, the church was birthed, I think, when Jesus died on the cross maybe. But but anyway, right in the same neighborhood just a few weeks later now, there is this huge move of God called the baptism of the Holy Spirit which just nailed these people and drew this crowd of thousands, 3,000 of which got saved that day. And uh, Peter in the middle of his sermon is saying this man, that is Jesus, was handed over to you by God's set purpose and foreknowledge, and you with the help of wicked men put him to death by nailing him to the cross. But God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. Why was it impossible? Why was it impossible? The soul that sins dies. Jesus never did sin. He submitted himself to taking our sins and dying for them. But when he died, they were paid for. And since he had no sin of his own, death could not hold him. And boom, he bounced. He went into death. He went into hell. And like one of those one of those uh super ball is that what those little things are called throw them down and it'll bounce over the house you know i mean it's just here he comes you can't stop him everybody tried they they put him in a tomb rolled a stone and when you see in paintings these stones that look like big stone discs about three or four feet in diameter and, oh, 12 to 15 inches thick this way. That's the way it was. They, they chiseled out a trench for that thing. They made the, the door of the tomb flush. They, they put this stone in there, this great big stone disc that no doubt weighed tons. And they would use pry bars and open it up. And they would put the, the body in there. And then they would use pry bars and close it. And it had its own little track, like a little trough. And it just sealed off that thing. And uh, it it takes some serious muscle power to move it. I have seen them in, uh, in Jerusalem area. And this thing, actually Jesus didn't have to come out through the door. Because when he rose from the dead, his body, which is still human, was altered slightly on the atomic level. So that it didn't have the same relationship to other matter that we now have. See, when I do that, my hands don't just go through each other. And I don't know whether Jesus' hands go through each other or not, but they can go through what we think is solid matter. And so he rises up through the stone. They open the, they roll the stone back so that we can see he's not in there. It's empty, honey. The grave is empty. He bounced. He did it. And uh, I just want to ask you this Do you know this Jesus?